The journey to being a successful creative entrepreneur is filled with challenges, hard work, and occasional high points. You have the opportunity to minimize the challenges and hard work by learning from experts, mentors, and leaders that have traveled the same road before you. The Creative Genius Podcast celebrates you and your hard work and helps you shortcut the path to profit and renewed passion. Enjoy this episode with your host, Gail Doby and Aaron Weir, co-founders of Gail Doby Coaching and Consulting. We are incredibly excited to have Dr. Benjamin Hardy join us today to talk about his newest book, Personality Isn't Permanent. This book provides science-based strategies for reframing past memories, becoming the scribe of your identity narrative, upgrading your subconscious, and redesigning your environment. Dr. Benjamin Hardy is an organizational psychologist and best-selling author of Willpower Doesn't Work. His blogs have been read by over 100 million people and are featured on Forbes, Fortune, CNBC, Cheddar, Big Think, and many others. He's a regular contributor to Inc. and Psychology Today, and from 2015 to 2018, he was the number one writer in the world on Medium.com. But before we get started, we'd like to share how you can connect with us. Head on over to our website at gailw.com to learn more about the experiences we offer and to check out our latest blog posts. Be sure to follow gail.w on Instagram and Facebook. And of course, we'd love to connect with you on LinkedIn as well. Well, I am excited to have you here. I have been following you now, Dr. Hardy, for about eight months, and I've been going through your AMP10X program, and I immediately, within just a very short period of time of taking the AMP, a couple of sessions, maybe two sessions in, I said, I think I need to get some of my clients involved with this and some of my team members. So as we were mentioning before the recording today, that was exactly what happened. And we, I think, have 15 people that have joined your program. And it has been terrific. I've seen a massive difference in the people on our, in our program that are taking your program. And I love it. So really excited to have you on this call today and talk to you a little bit about your brand new book. So tell me what got you started on writing this particular book. Yeah, this book, um, I, I always wanted to do a book that was very much about human transformation. You know, I'd written the book, Willpower Doesn't Work, which was more about just doing what you want to do behaviorally. But I really wanted to do a deep dive into how people change. And so I just felt like after having studied personality for so long, getting the PhD, I just felt like it was the perfect kind of window, I guess you could say, into showing people all of the misconceptions that most people have, which kind of limit their thinking about themselves. A lot of people think, for example, that who you are today is the same person you were or that you've always been, you know, and that it's the same person you're going to be long into the future. And so I just kind of wanted to show with a lot of the cool research that you're actually not the same person you were even three or four years ago, maybe even six months ago, given COVID, and that you're not going to be the same person in a year from now. And so how about we start controlling that and start changing how we view our past and how we, how we create our future. So I just kind of wanted to just do it at the most bare bones level for people and show, show people how it works. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it's really good because as I was reading that book, and I've read it a couple of times, I found it quite fascinating because I definitely have taken just about every single personality test out there and I find them fascinating. But what you're telling us is that we really shouldn't be paying a whole lot of attention to them. So for example, Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, and you're saying that they're unscientific and harmful. So talk to me about that. I think the main reason they're harmful is because the kind of premise that you're, when, that you're coming at when you take one of these tests is that you're going to get some deep understanding about yourself, which is fundamental. You know, you're going to get some fundamental understanding about yourself. And once you learn that, what I find is when people get these tests, 
it does give them a label about themselves. It really focuses on their, their current self and who they are, but it also makes them think that who they are right now is who they've always been. And as people, one of the things that makes us a conscious human being, so in psychology, we call it perspection. One of the things that makes us different from plants, is, plants and animals is that we can imagine various futures. We can imagine a, a future and then we can get excited about that future and we can go for it. And very much our view of our future shapes how we act today. And what those tests do is they make you think that who you're going to be in the future is the exact same person you already are today. It doesn't give you a different view of your future self. It gives you a sense that who I am right now is who I'm going to always be. So it, it basically creates what's what Carol Dweck would call a fixed mindset. Mm-hmm. It stops you from thinking you can be someone different, but it also stops you from being flexible to anything that's outside the label the test gives you. So it stops you from actively trying things and it kind of gives you a justification for not going there. I don't need to do that because my label has told me that's not who I am anyways. Hmm. So in this particular case, you're also saying that it's, it's not useful as a person that's hiring to put people through these tests at all to try to understand them a little bit. There are better hiring criteria. Um, mm-hmm. There actually is a personality test, which could be useful. It's called the big five. There's a lot of study behind that. And it, it would give, it would never actually throw someone into a category and say that they're like a D or an uh, S or whatever. It would say, this is where they're at on a percentile rank against the general population on, let's just say conscientiousness. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're in the 55th percentile for conscientiousness, meaning they're pretty organized. And you'd probably, but if you're looking for predicting outcomes, Myers-Briggs, Enneagram, none of that stuff would actually provide you with cr- criteria that would allow you to powerfully predict performance. There's plenty of measures that me as an organizational psychologist would recommend, you know, like even optimism, you know, people who sky score really high on optimism are probably far more likely to do well in a sales role. You know, there's actually a lot of research on that. So you could put together a list of measures where you could then predict positive performance, but the Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram and stuff like that, those are not, I wouldn't say that those are very predictive of performance in any specific way. Mm-hmm. Well, I think you'll shock a lot of people because of that perspective. And obviously, you've done a re- lot of research on this. So what are some of the destructive societal myths about personality? I mean, the major ones are that it's innate and inflexible, that it doesn't change, that it's something to be discovered. You've got to find it. And so you're going to probably find it through one of these tests <laughs> and that it, it can be categorized. But yeah, I think what most people think is, is that once they finally discover their true personality, they can then pursue goals that fit their personality. You know, you, once I find out that I'm an introvert, I can organize my life around fitting that. But that's just not really how it works. There's so much research now at this point, what, particularly longitudinal research, research that follows people for decades at a time. Most research in psychology is snapshots. They, they base their findings on a single sample. You know, you'll, you'll study a group of people, you'll get some scores, and then you'll publish your findings. But there's a lot of what's called longitudinal research now where they'll follow groups of people for literally decades. And when you, when you study someone more than just at a single snapshot, but over time, you'll start to notice that a lot of things change. And so a lot of the research now at this point shows your personality has changed. It will change. It's going to change. And yeah, so I mean, that's, that's kind of a good starting point is that it changes all the time and that it's not based on your past. Uh, a lot of people think that personality is fundamentally based on the past. Uh, from my perspective, personality is actually based on a person's future. Now, negative past experiences can limit your view of your future, but, and you can resolve those. But whatever view you have of your own future is actually the most guiding post to who you are today. 
Hmm, interesting. So as, as somebody is trying to figure out, well, where do I want to go in the future? How about those people that struggle with doing that and having set goals? And I, I know people within my circle that struggle with that. So how do you how do you get around that if that's not something that's natural to you? I think, uh, interestingly, a starting point is about even changing, changing the past as weird as that sounds. And I know I hit that pretty hard in the book, but a, a friend of mine, Dan Sullivan, who's also an entrepreneurial coach, who's someone I've, I learned from, I, I collaborate with. He's got a great quote where he says, the starting point of making your future bigger is actually by making your past better. Um, cause uh, one of the reasons why people don't like setting goals is because either in the past it hasn't worked for them or, you know, they've had negative experiences of which have caused them to have limiting beliefs about themselves. A, a simple step that I really like is to take someone and just say, where are you now compared to where you were five years ago? And can you see growth? Can you see progress? You know, and most people can, most people, you know, can see it. And even if negative things have happened, you can start to say, well, what are the good things that have come from that? You know, if you actually learn, so it's, it's a really about turning the past into something you can use rather than something that you're frustrated about. Mm -hmm. And if you can take the past and make it good, make it positive, make it meaningful, then you can start to believe that the future can be different. But I mean, another additional step is just thinking about what is the future you actually want? Who's the person you want to be? I mean, you have to actually start that imagination and process. And I think as adults, it can be difficult. You know, there's a, a Harvard psychologist named Daniel Gilbert. He actually has a, a TED talk called The Psychology of Your Future Self. He's a person who's been studying this for a long time, but he says that people have a hard time imagining their future self because they don't spend much time imagining. They don't spend much time actually imagining that you actually have to spend time doing it just like you spend time going to the gym. And most people don't take the time to exercise their imagination skills, which is a skill that you kind of have to develop if you're going to start playing in this world of imagining your future and setting goals and moving forward. Mm -hmm. Why do you think it's so hard uh, or why do you think it's so important for people to understand the difference between the, the former, the current and the future selves? Well, I think it's really important to look at your former self as a different person. You know, like as an example, I made a pretty big mistake recently or, or, or something I did about two years ago recently is now biting me <laughs> in the, you know, in a relationship, but what's not, thankfully the person was empathetic towards me and, and we were both able to quickly realize that two years ago I, I made a mistake based on my own ignorance, which I'm now no longer ignorant of. And so I'm not the same person I was two years ago. I now have new information. I'm also in a new world. I'm in a COVID world, I guess you could say, but like, it's just really important to realize that you're not the same person you were in the past. You know, things that, you know, you wouldn't do everything quite the same way that you once did it. And that doesn't mean you should be angry towards your former self. Actually, it should create an enormous amount of empathy and compassion towards where you were at and towards what you were doing. And I think that that, that compassion and empathy can be given towards other people. You know, as an example, my mom, she comes from a huge family, but her sister made a decision 20 years ago that has still negatively bothered my mom for literally 20 years. <laughs> and mm -hmm. me and my mom had a conversation about it. And we said, you know, her, her sister's name is Sharon. And I said, yeah, but Sharon 20 years ago is not the same person as Sharon today. And if we could better understand why Sharon made that decision 20 years ago, maybe we could be more understanding of the, the person she was, but we still shouldn't hold the current version of her to what she did 20 years ago because she's not the same person. She probably would do things differently. Just like you 20 years ago got upset by this, but maybe now you don't have to be upset about it anymore. Maybe you can better understand the situation. So I think it's just really important to realize we're not the same person we are in the past. But there's also a lot of research that tells us to do that same thing about the future. Just as you're not the same person in the past, your future self will have knowledge and capabilities and understanding that you currently don't have. And they would do things differently than how you're doing them now. 
Mm-hmm. And so when you start thinking about your future self as a different person, you can start to think, well, what would they want or what would, you know, because if I'm only making decisions based on what I want in the present, I might be setting my future self up for disaster, like financially or with my health. And so you start thinking, well, what does my future self want and who are they? That, that allows you to start thinking about maybe making more conscious decisions in the present. Mm-hmm. Well, I think uh, your program does make us think about that. And, and it is a lot of deep work to do. It, I've been doing quite a bit of journaling and that has not been an easy thing for me. I think I've finally gotten over that hurdle. And so my future self is now a journaler. And so that's one thing I've picked up from the course, which has been, I think, very helpful. So um, that is a great tool and hopefully something that would help people be able to do exactly that, figure out who they want to be and how they can get there. Yeah, now, I find the, journal is just a, the journal is just a safe place. It's just a safe place to practice, practice imagination, practice writing, practice committing. Mm-hmm. But I also find if you do it in the right environments, there's that whole quote that when the why is strong enough, you'll find the hows. Mm-hmm. When I'm writing in my journal in the morning about my future self, ideas come to me, strategies or thing, people I need to reach out to that then provide the pathway to getting to my future self. So I just find mm-hmm. it's, it's a really safe environment to, to think. Well, and I'll thank you for that because as I was doing some of my journaling a couple of weeks ago, I said, hmm, one of the things I have on there is my goal that I write every day is to write a book. So I made the commitment and I am starting the book now. And so that was one one thing that came out of this. So, Do you mind um, sharing with us what the book is? <laughs> it's going to be called, well, my temporary title is called Breakthrough. And it's going to be talking about the mindset and the, the whole concept about how to build a business. But it really has to involve mindset as well as actions that you take. So you have to have the skills to go along with it. So. I, I'm excited. I'm very excited about that. I think people are going to love that book. Well, thank you. Well, hopefully I can get you to write a forward for me. <laughs> Done. Uh, oh, Done. awesome. Awesome. I'll do that. All right. So let's talk about labels because this is something that it's not just the labels that other people put on us. It's the ones that we put on ourselves. So how do these negatively impact the perception, identity, the goals of people? And how do you deflect that from the people that are on the outside? Yeah. I mean, labels are usually about, so, so I'll I'll give like a quick definition. So like Carol Dweck, who's the psychologist who created the idea of fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Mm -hmm. People with a, a fixed mindset are very, they're very conscious of who they are today. And they're very definitive about who they are today. So Carol Dweck has spent a lot of time studying kids in school. And what she does is she will give them really hard challenges. You know, like, so let's just say third graders, for example. She'll give them an assignment that none of them are going to pass. Just because she literally wants to see how they respond to the failure. And what she finds is, is that the, peop- the, the kids with the fixed mindset when they fail, they're very much defined by the present, meaning that they don't believe that they can do that thing. They're just like, this is where I'm at. That's something that's way above me. That's for some, that's for other people. Other people can do that, but I can't do that. And so they become fully defined by the present. Whereas people with a growth mindset, when they hit that level and they fail, they're not worried about who they are in the present. Like they know that they didn't meet, meet it, but they're focused on how do I get there? You know, what, what Carol Dweck says is that they get to luxuriate in the power of yet. They're not here yet, but they can figure out that they know that Maybe they're not there yet, but they will be able to get there at some point. They can figure it out. And so the reason that labels can be so destructive is that most labels are not focused on who you want to be in the future. You know, so for example, you saying my future self is a journal writer. That's, that you could say that that's a label you've given yourself, but that's a future-based label. That's a mm-hmm. label that you're growing into. Most labels aren't that way. Most labels are focused on like who you are right now or who you've been in the past. And it seems like the purpose of the label is to define your limits. It's to define what's possible to you or define who you are. And 
you know, if you're someone with a growth mindset, that's just not how you would think. You would be very uncomfortable being given a label unless it was something that you put on yourself because it promoted you towards a goal. So I give the example in the book of Jeff Coins, who is a writer, and he gave himself the label that I am a writer so that he could actually start doing that more. And so you can be proactive about giving yourself labels if those labels are useful to you becoming your future self. The problem for most people's labels is that it literally stops them from changing. Hmm. Well, I like that idea that you can do a label for your future self because that is more motivating. But I mean, maybe I did it. I called myself Dr. Benjamin Hardy in my head before <laughs> I got there. You know what I mean? Well, sure, exactly. Well, and I look at you, and you're about half my age, and, and so um, I find it fascinating that you have promote or if you have gotten yourself so far along at such an early age. And to me, that tells me that you have a lot of inner motivation that is pretty unusual for most people. So tell me about that. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with my view of my own future. You know, I mean, I've gone through a lot of intense things. I've, mm-hmm. I've failed plenty, but I, I learned from people like you, to be honest with you. I, I have mentors of all ages and shapes and sizes. I don't really distinguish about age, but I, I do like surrounding myself with people who are at places I have, I would like to go because I just can learn so much quicker from people at different walks of life. So uh, I'm definitely constantly learning, but I, you know, a, a big part of it's my own faith, my own spiritual beliefs. A lot of it's my view of my future. A lot of it's just my desire to learn and to increasingly use my time well on this planet and hopefully to, you know, to be of value and service to other people. So I mean, I just, mm-hmm. you know, it's just constantly just learning and trying to be better. Well, you're doing a lot to help a lot of people. So what are some things that people can do to get that or to find and cultivate that inner motivation that you have found? And I think it's hard because, well, we'll talk about this in a second, but for sure, there's some reasons that people have for why they can't do certain things or why they haven't done certain things. And I I love the statement by uh, one of my mentors that says either they're excuses or, or results. And I love that. There's this philosophy of one of my mentors that says either they're excuses or results. And I hear that in my head all the time because if I'm looking at something that I'm not doing, I think, "Mm, what's my reason why I'm not doing this? So help us out with some ideas about how to get that motivation, that internal drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that quote right there of yours reminds me a lot of... um the quote that I use a lot in my own head, which comes from the book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. But the quote is that commitment is a statement of what is. Mm-hmm. You can know what you're committed to by the results you're getting, not by what you say you're committed to. So it's all about whatever we're getting in our life right now is what we're committed to. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely like that. And I like the idea of the results economy. So Dan Sullivan talks about the difference between people who are in the results economy versus the time and energy economy. And people in the time and energy economy are people who think, that you're rewarded for the amount of time and effort you put in versus just whatever is required to produce the result. <laughs> I prefer the results economy. I prefer just how do I produce the result I want? Uh, as far as cultivating internal motivation, I kind of look at motivation from both ways. I draw a lot of motivation from things externally, you know, like whether it's quality information, quality experiences. I'm constantly seeking new experiences that grow me, you know, and I think that that's how you build your confidence. You're your motivation in a lot of ways is based on your confidence and you build that confidence step by step. So like by having a good day, you'll be more motivated tomorrow (laughs) because you, you, you watched yourself succeed. And so your motivation in a lot of ways is based on your confidence and your confidence is something that you can control by actually doing things that build you up as a person. So Mm -hmm. me listening to high quality information versus watching negative media 
it gives me confidence because I start to feel energized, which motivates me. So motivation is something that is controllable. It's something that you can easily turn on and turn off, but you've got to kind of control it through your behavior and through your inputs, um, mm-hmm. through, through what you let into your brain. If I go a few days of not making any progress towards goals, I'm not going to be motivated. <laughs> I'm not going to feel like I want to do it. And so I, I, how I do it, honestly, simply, I think the most simple steps, aside from constantly learning good stuff and seeking growth, is controlling morning, mornings and evenings. If I can do really good at just being super present with my family and going to bed at a good time, not, you know, not ruining myself at night and then going and waking up with a purpose and making progress in my first 90 minutes, then the rest of the day is awesome because I've just built a lot of confidence that morning. I've just made progress towards my goals. I've journaled about my future self. I've maybe exercised. And so now I'm in a place where I have motivation. And so to me, it's just about creating that every morning. Mm hmm. And I do it the night before, you know, I set myself up the night before where it's like, this is the one or two things I really want to accomplish. And I just get straight to them. And once I'm into it, then I start feeling confident. And so therefore I start feeling motivated. Mm-hmm. Well, and I also, one of the things I love that you shared as well was about getting your mindset before you go to bed to think about something that your subconscious can process. Because I know that I'll wake up at one or two or three in the morning and I've got all of a sudden my brain has been working on this for so good. hours. <laughs> Yeah, that was the um, Thomas Edison quote, that you should never go to bed without giving something useful for your subconscious to work Mm -hmm. on. And I think if you go to bed, you know, just right before bed, rather than staring at your phone or whatever, just close your eyes and meditate or give yourself something to think about. Your brain is doing a lot of processing, like deep processing at night while you're sleeping and dreaming. And yeah, that's why sometimes you'll wake up with just that light bulb moment. I, I, I like to keep a journal. By my bed, to be honest with you. Not only does putting the journal by your bed actually tell you I'm expecting some ideas, <laughs> but it's actually something that if you wake up and start jotting some thoughts, you start to train your brain to get used to giving you more ideas um, mm-hmm. and you start to pay more attention to them. And that's why I really like giving yourself quiet space in the morning because then you can really leverage that. You can really, you can really tap into those insights and you can get some really good ideas that I think most people just don't access because they just jump straight into their day, jump straight into their cell phones, straight into who they were yesterday versus giving themselves space to really utilize those subconscious ideas that were coming through their brain at night, but also then pointing those towards them, their future self. I just feel like there's a few things that you can do that really give, get you access to a, a bigger future if you'll just practice them. Well... <laughs> You're exactly right. And um, my the title for my book came at two o'clock in the morning. And literally, I knew I had a pad of paper beside me and I wrote it in the dark. So I didn't even see it. It was just scribble. scribble. It. Breakthrough. <laughs> it was breakthrough. And that was it. It was like, okay, that's it. So it is it's so it's just great to be able to tap into that. Well, I think one thing that you mentioned, and I, this definitely is something that I see happen for a lot of people, is that they have trauma and they have things that negatively affect them and impact their personality and limit their future. But you're saying that does not have to happen. And again, it goes back to, well, that's great. It's nice to know that trauma might cause that, but how do you get rid of it? Yeah. It connects a little bit to the idea that you're not the same person you were in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, so the person you were in the past who created that trauma, whatever it may be, because trauma is really what happens on an emotional level is we have experiences and then we interpret our experience through our emotions. So like if I if I have a bad day and I'm just emotionally frustrated, then I'm interpreting the day as it was a bad day because emotionally I don't feel great. And so we create meaning from our experiences and trauma is 
where you had a bad experience and you, and you shaped a negative meaning as a result. And that meaning is now impacting how you see yourself in the world, you know, and, and, you know, we all have hard experiences. We all have bad, you know, bad things that we go through, which could be defined as trauma. And I think it's important for people to realize that trauma isn't always the big things like going to war or, or, you know, being sexually abused, although those are, those can be, but it could be as small as someone just telling you you're not smart, you know, if you're a little kid, you know, or even as an adult, someone's, you know, someone, and you then you hold on to that. And so it's a negative experience that then shapes your identity and your identity is how you see yourself and how you see yourself determines how you act. And so any negative experience that limits your identity and stops you from seeing possibility for a future, that's what trauma is. Trauma stops you from having hope and belief in a bigger and better future. And then you become defined by the past, whatever that was. And so, yeah, you can definitely change the meaning of, of former experiences. You can reframe trauma. It does take emotional work and often it takes the help of other people. In the mm-hmm. book, I call them empathetic witnesses, but you need people around you who you feel comfortable enough sharing what you went through in the past because it can be kind of scary or hard or difficult to go back because usually by going back, you conjure up the same emotions that you experienced the first time, but doing it in a safe environment with other people, you can, you can start to think about it from different angles. And also as a different person, because now you're in a different place, you don't have to choose to see it from the same angle. You can give it a different meaning, you know? So as an example, you know, even myself, I use myself as the example all the time. Like when my parents got divorced, I was age 11. My father became a drug addict, you know, it's now been 20 years since then. He's now a different person. My father's no longer a drug addict. So I don't need to look at my dad who he is today as the same guy he was 20 years ago doing drugs because he's actually not the same guy. And so I, I can now better under, try to better understand who that guy was 20 years ago. And also, but I don't have to see that guy 20 years ago from the same lens as the 11-year-old version who was living through it. I can look at it from the age of myself right now and I can start to better understand. And I, you, you do that by learning more, getting more context because it's really the context of something that shapes the meaning of it. And so, you know, I... For myself, I asked my dad, you know, will you please tell me what led to your choices? Because I couldn't have understood it at age 11. Will you help me understand this? And with more understanding comes increased compassion and understanding and empathy. And so you get to ultimately choose the meaning you give to your former experiences. And I'm, I'm a big believer in turning the past into something positive, something that you can use, something that was something that happened for you, not to you. Mm-hmm. And so I choose to believe that my past was a benefit, even though I went through a lot of junk. I wouldn't be where I'm at today. I wouldn't be, you know, have made a lot of good decisions in my life and wouldn't have had to learn a lot of things had I not gone through that. And so I'm choosing to be, view it all as meanings, meaningfully positive. We can get better and faster at doing that even when we go, when we go through hard things. You know? and so mm-hmm. it's just, it, it could be something from 20 years ago. It could be something from last week. Just ultimately choosing, this is something that I can use. This is something that, but it requires you to face the truth of it and to learn from it versus ignore and avoid it. And that's mm-hmm. usually... It stays trauma if you're ignoring and avoiding it. But if you learn from it and you can use it and you're grateful for it, then it no longer is trauma. The meaning of it has immediately changed and now you're free from it and you can have a bigger future. So what is it called when you have a trauma like that and it takes you, for me, it's three days. I have a three-day thing where I know it's going to take me that long to process something that's difficult. So what is that called? It's called a refractory period. Okay. Yeah, the refractory period is the amount of time it takes to emotionally recover from an event. 
So some, some events might take a decade, you know, for my mom, for example, with this thing with her sister, it took two, two decades to recover. But the cool part is, is that in a single conversation, she recovered and then she reframed the meaning of it. She forgave her former self. She forgave her sister. And now her and her sister have an amazing relationship. She could have done that 10 years ago, but you know, like she wasn't there yet. And so we can just be compassionate towards where she was at. But yeah, the idea is, is that you want to shorten the refractory period. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to shorten the time it takes to emotionally recover and ultimately choose to get back to the future rather than continuing to be frustrated by the past. And what do you think is the best way to do that and shorten that time? Yeah. Well, first off, you have to actually want to, you know, like, (laughs) well, so, well, so you have to want to, you don't want So one of the, one of the quotes that I really like is the idea that we're kept from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. And usually what happens when something hard happens is, is that we stop wanting the goal because we've just hit an obstacle and instead we start choosing lesser goals. So you have to not commit to something lesser. You have to actually say, no, I still want this thing. And I now have to figure this out. So usually from my perspective, the two fastest and most healthy ways to get there, one journaling, really thinking about it Two, maybe getting emotional support, you know, like, so for example, last week, I think I maybe mentioned it already, but I made a, I made a, a big mistake of mine came to fruition. And, and there was, there were consequences for a business relationship I was in. And so I was scared to just fully own up to what I did two years ago, which wasn't that big a deal, but it was still something. And so in order for me to get to the right emotional place, I had to have a few conversations. These are these empathetic witnesses. I first talked to my wife, I talked to my assistant, and I talked to a business partner who could really help me to understand, you know, what are the worst case scenarios, you know, help me ultimately get my emotions right so I could make a positive decision. For me, I needed to make the decision fast. I needed to, I needed to close the refractory period in like two hours. I, I didn't have, but it was because I was really committed to the bigger future. I didn't want to give up on that future. Usually, if you're, if you're willing to give up on whatever the desire is that you have, then you'll just, you'll ignore it. You'll avoid it. You won't take full responsibility. And instead, you'll just say, I'm not going to deal with those emotions. I'm not going to deal with the situation. I'll just go and take a different future. It may be a lesser future. I wasn't willing to do that. I wanted to maintain that relationship. And so I had to fully own what I did and, you know, approach it and, and create a relation or a conversation with the person. And so sometimes it just takes a minute to get yourself to that place where you can fully, and it might not be because you did something wrong, but you have to fully own what's going on and learn from it. And so, mm-hmm. but, but a very helpful thing that I did was rather than being frustrated that the situation occurred, I just said, this is exactly what I need. I don't, you know, this is happening for me, not to Mm -hmm. me. Like this situation, I don't know why it occurred, but this is exactly what I need to learn. This is exactly, this is all going to benefit me. It's going to be, you know, it'll be over soon. And as soon as I just fully own that and just said, this is happening for me. And then I just moved forward, which was emotionally difficult for about 20 minutes. And then once I sent the email, it was gone. And so you just kind of have to just believe that whatever's happening to you is a benefit. And then you need Mm -hmm. to, maybe get the emotional support you need to make the positive decision and then do what you need to do to move the thing forward. Mm -hmm. So I heard about four things out of that that I thought were interesting. So one is just to assume that it's going to be beneficial to you to do whatever is necessary. Second, vulnerability, because you're open to fully own it. Yeah. And communicating for sure. And not just keeping it internal and then also taking responsibility. Yeah. I think all of those things, I think you've conveyed it in steps, which is beautiful. If you are still, so there's a quote in Alcoholics Anonymous that you're as sick as your secrets, you know, Mm -hmm. the more you can just own it 
and make honest, full responsibility fast. And also believe that it's happening for you, even though maybe you wouldn't have chosen it. This is happening for you. It's happening for a reason. And you can either be limited by it or you can grow because of it. And if you Mm -hmm. just take full responsibility, totally communicate fast and believe that this is for the good, then you can start resolving it quicker rather Mm -hmm. than putting it under the shelf or, you know, Yeah. Well, I was thinking about how I was really grateful that I was going through your program about the time that COVID hit. And as I was thinking about it, and I've been through a number of things that have happened over the years, such as 2008, when the whole market crashed, we started our this current business at that time. And so when I look back on some of these things, what I was thinking about the whole time was, okay, that's my opportunity to learn and grow and shift because I've already had this experience in similar ways over the past year. So I don't have to go back through the negative trauma that you were talking about. I need to do something different. So our whole team shifted completely as a result of that. And I thank you for that because I think it really helped us pivot and make the changes we needed to make so that we could actually help our clients during that time. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, we can choose to look at COVID as a problem or as an opportunity. Either way. It's an opportunity. It's it's, it's totally up to us. You know, if it's happening for us, our future is going to be bigger. If it's happening to us, our future is going to be smaller. Well, I think it's an opportunity. and um, I agree. But it's all how you look at it. That's the meaning you're giving to it. Absolutely. And once I did that and shifted that thinking, we were able to be the leaders for our clients and help them through that. And now they're all just doing great. And we're so fortunate to be in an industry that actually has done well after COVID. So that's a good thing. Well, I mean, it sounds like you gave it a positive meaning and then you took full responsibility and then you got back into that leadership role and started helping the people, you know, you, you, it's our job. job. Well, and thank you for that. So then the last question that I have for you, and then we'll kind of wrap up and give some takeaways is what are the most effective and science-based ways for making radical change? A lot of what we've talked about, about framing Mm -hmm. the past as positive, that's Mm -hmm. crucial. And doing that regularly. So in psychology, we call that emotional regulation. When you're having a tough time, you actually want, rather than creating meaning based on your initial emotions, you actually want to take the time to process those. It could be through journaling, through communication, through a conversation, but ultimately choosing the meaning you gave to it and doing it as fast as possible and then taking responsibility Mm -hmm. and moving forward with your future. That's all the stuff we just talked about, about framing the past as useful and positive is there. And then I think just really it's, it's, it's incredibly important to clarify and define your own future self. That could be for yourself and also for your organization, for your company. Um, without having a clear vision for your future, it's impossible. And, and turning that vision into a very tangible goal, you know, I call it a keystone goal, but turning it into a result, you know, you either have results or excuses. You have to turn your vision or your future self into a tangible result so that then you can create a process. And so I, I definitely think that once you've clarified your future self, you have to turn into what is the result that I need that will make my future self possible? Mm-hmm. Um, for me, back in the day as a young writer or someone who even wanted to be a writer, I, you know, when I was in 2015 as a first year PhD student, my future self at the time was someone who was a professional writer, you know, having maybe conversations with someone like you, being lucky enough to talk to someone like you. Oh, but in order to do that, I needed to actually have a goal. And that goal was, you know, and it takes sometimes time to conceptualize the right goal for me at that time, it was get a six-figure book contract. Because to me, if that was true, if I had that, then I would be a professional writer. I'd be making enough to provide for my kids and things like that. And so you need to turn whatever future self you imagine into a goal so that then you can create a process. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really what's required for both hope and motivation is you need the confidence that you can do it, which is grown through actually 
making progress. You need a process to getting there and you need a very specific outcome that Mm -hmm. you can target your present actions and behaviors towards. So those are all crucial things. And then I just think creating better evenings and mornings where you're regularly communicating with your future self, where you're regularly clarifying on a daily basis, you know, one to three things that you can do on a daily basis to move yourself forward, just moving yourself forward one to three steps, you know, it's just like on a week, you know, what are the three most important things this week that I could do that if, if nothing else happened, it would be a successful week. You know, what are the three to five things this quarter that if we accomplish as a team, you know, everything else is gravy, just having specific results that are regular, you know, breaking them down and just regularly going for them and then giving yourself plenty of recovery, unplugging, you know, at the end of the day, giving yourself plenty of space, like literally scheduling in recovery is just crucial. So I mean, those are just some key, beautiful steps. You know, I would recommend, obviously there's more, but <laughs> I think those are some, All right. one, one other, one other, I will say Okay. is when you clarify your future self, you really need to be transparent about that. You know, we talked about being transparent about our mistakes or about our trauma, but it's just as important to be transparent about your future self. And I think that this, this can be difficult for people because they feel like they're exposing themselves and, you know, your goals aren't a reality yet. And so maybe you're setting yourself up for failure. Maybe you'll get judgment or maybe you'll have people tell you you're not going to make it or get, but I think that the more, if your future self is going to become a reality, the person you really want to be, the more you can actually make that tangible for yourself and for other people by communicating them to them, then you're not hiding it anymore. This is where I really want to go. Then you can readjust the expectations in your relationships, but also by telling people about your goals, I have found by owning what I really want, I get insane and unexpected support from people who can help me get there. You know, people really are attracted to vision and you'll, you, you can't attract the help you need if you can't convey that vision. And so tell people about your goals, tell people about your future self and don't, You know, doesn't mean you have to tell exactly everyone. Some people, maybe it's just not a useful conversation, but the more transparent you can be about that, the more help you'll get, but also the more you'll believe it. And then the more your behavior will start to be driven by your future self and not your, your past self. Mm, I love that. Well, this has been great talking about your book, Personality Isn't Permanent. And I know you've got several more in the hopper, but uh, let's go ahead and end with three key takeaways that you would like to share with our listeners. Sure. One is, is just looking at anything from your past that you feel is limiting your current self and try and maybe either journaling about it or having a conversation and flipping it, you know, finding a way to flip it so that you're grateful for what that thing was and that you're no longer, you know, limited by that thing, whatever it was, that relationship or that experience, but that actually that thing was useful to you and finding all of the gains or the benefits from that experience. That would be one that I would really encourage all listeners to do. I really love the quote from Dan Sullivan, a first step in making your future bigger is by making your past better. And we all can turn our past into something we're grateful for, no matter what it was. The next one would just be really taking the time to imagine and clarify your future self. Like who's the person you want to be in three years from now? Get very specific. What is your future self situation? What have they accomplished between now and then? You know, get dialed in. How much money are they making or what's your business like or what's your day-to-day life like? Like without actually imagining your future self, your present doesn't have as much direction. As human beings, as conscious beings, we are driven by our own view of the future. And so it's up to us to define and design that and then use that as what we do today. I would say the third one would be, just since we already talked about it, journaling. Mm -hmm. Journaling doesn't need to be that long, but if you can practice journaling for five minutes a day, just about your future self and also about just the challenges you're facing, if you can do that in the mornings, as me and Gail talked about, your subconscious will dump a lot of good stuff towards you. You know, you'll get a lot of, you'll get a lot of downloads or a lot of good ideas that 
your amazing, beautiful brain was processing and developing while you were asleep. And kind of like, you know, the idea that you got for your book title right in the middle of the morning. That's a, a, I call that kind of a peak experience. You know, it's where you have this amazing aha, this insight. You can have those almost regularly or daily, you know, if you practice journaling, just writing about your goals, giving yourself the space to think about how can I get there or how can I, how can I solve this problem? Just giving yourself a little laboratory, a private space to write and think. You just give yourself, you know, we don't, I don't feel like too many people give themselves that space in a good, quiet environment to just think about things and, and access the insights of their brain. So I would encourage mm-hmm. people to do that as well. Beautifully said. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. We're really excited to share this with our listeners. And definitely for all of you who are interested, be sure and go to Amazon and get Personality Isn't Permanent. I bought 63 of your books so far. Sent them out to a lot of our clients, which so we're grateful. happy to do. Wanted to support you and your goals to sell how many copies? Let's start with a million, but eventually 10 million. Awesome. I love that. Well, I think that's a good plan and we want thank to Thank you for that support. See, you know my goal. So thank you for that. <laughs> well, I saw that. your list the other day of all the things you have on yours and I did upload my assignment for you. So <laughs> it's more than a page. I hate to tell you, it's but it's okay. your fault. <laughs> it's beautiful. It's a big future you're creating. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you again. It was great speaking with you today. And we look forward to sharing more of you with our audience in the future. And again, thank you for taking your time. Oh, yeah. It was so fun. Thank you for all your support and for for letting me be with you. My pleasure. Be sure to go get your copy of Personality Isn't Permanent and learn more about Benjamin Hardy at BenjaminHardy.com. 